Uh, Our sermon uh, passage is on a very well-known section of scripture. It's the story of the prodigal son. And, uh, you know, whether you've spent a lot of time in church or a little bit of time, uh, this is probably a story you've heard a little something about, at least. And uh, we love it because it speaks to many of our longings, our desires to be uh, loved unconditionally, something you see in uh, the character of the father. Uh, We're going to be looking at this story from a little bit different vantage point than what we're used to. Uh, The way we normally tell the story is it's kind of an abstract description of grace and sin depicted by two different characters. So you've got uh, the father who's unconditionally loving, and you've got a younger uh, son who screws things up and sticks it to his dad, uh, but still gets a full welcome uh, when he returns home. Other ways you maybe have been familiar with the stories through uh, the pastor Tim Keller out in New York City. Um, uh, Tim uh, has reminded us that uh, the story actually doesn't end with those two uh, reconciling, but it's actually two brothers. And the story is really about two ways of being lost, one by being really bad, and one, ironically, through being really good. And they're both uh, finding the same way home, which is an encounter with the Father's love. Uh, all of this is true, and we're going to consider these things. Uh, but what matters uh, more is that we're going to look at this from the perspective of what does it mean to wander from God? How do we get this? You know, we're maybe not used to talking about this this way. Uh, and the way we think of the reason we've come to uh, appreciate wandering as being a, a subject in this passage is because of the occasion for which Jesus even shared this. Uh, Jesus is depicted as, as sitting and welcoming sinners. And then some religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, uh, come to Jesus and they say, Why are you doing that? Why are you hanging out with the, the kids from the bad side of the track? And Jesus, in turn, goes and tells three different parables to explain uh, why he's doing this. And the sinners he's talking with aren't sinners in kind of a generic sense, uh, but it's actually Israelites who weren't being faithful Israelites. There are people who were who part of uh, God's family in, in a very real way, but they were wandering from God. And he tells these two stories to talk about God's heart for the wandering uh, Israelite. So that's how we're going to be thinking about it today. Uh, wandering is a very relevant part for any Christian. Uh, we wander all the time. It's normal. It's normal in the sense of we're not supposed to be doing it, but we do it. Uh, and wandering is a very big part of my story as well. Uh, there's a song that we sing called Come Thou Fount, uh, and there's a little line in there. I wrote it down. It's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Uh, whenever we sing this song, I'm always anticipating those two lines. And when we get to them, I sing them out with conviction because I know it's true about me. I know there's a part of my heart that is so prone and easy and quick to wander from God. And so it's important for us, whether we think we're wandering or not, to consider what does it mean to wander and how does God relate to us? Uh, Our passage kind of gives us, it's broken into three different sections. It gives us the three uh, points of our sermon. The first thing we're going to look at is what is wandering itself? What, What happens when we wander? Why do we wander? How do we get back home? And we're going to look at the life of the younger brother for that. Uh, Next, we're going to look at the love of the father. He's depicted in the second paragraph. And we're going to say, what type of, what what does the father do with wanderers? Uh, Last, we're going to end by considering the elder brother to tell us, how do we relate to wanderers in our community? I'm going to read this, and then we'll pray, and we will jump back in. Uh, If you have a bulletin, it's on page 10. We also got pew Bibles, so scattered around. This is Luke 15. Now the tax collector and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. He said this, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the paws of the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he, the younger brother, came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But he was still a long way off. His father saw him, and he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was now found. They began to celebrate. Now his older brother, older son, was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you gave me, never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, the father, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. He is found. Lord, we're so, so thankful uh, for this story. Uh, in your word, it's inspired so many. And we pray uh, that you would inspire us now. Uh, that your spirit would be here teaching us and instructing us, taking this a passage and applying it to our heart, uh, opening our eyes to see your great love for us, uh, using it to comfort us or challenge us uh, according to our need. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're walking through, uh, we're looking at three different characters, talking about wandering. Character number one, the younger brother. What does he have to tell us about wandering? We're going to walk through this passage a little bit and see what, what, uh, how this works out for him. And if he can't tell us uh, what wandering is and, and what do we do if we're wandering. It starts off with a bang, verse 12. The younger brother said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided the property between them. Uh, this younger son coming to his dad asking for the property, it's not, uh, it's not asking for a loan, or it's, it's not asking for a little bit of a, uh, something that's already due him. Uh, what he's saying is something much more offensive. He's saying, I wish the father was dead. Because for the younger son to get that inheritance, it would have meant that the father had to be dead. And so he's coming to his dad, and he's saying, I don't care about you at all. You mean absolutely nothing to me, and I want your money. 
And this uh, brother, this son, is revealing something about the heart of what it means to be lost. Uh, it means that we want the Father's things, but we don't necessarily want the Father. And this is something that we're going to see throughout the passage. The, the son uh, takes the money. He goes off to a place called the far country. And I love that language, the far country. It says so much in just a couple of words. Uh, the far country is, is an actual another country, a place that would have been alien and strange and unfriendly to him. And he's now in a hostile place. He lives his life. Uh, he spends his money on kind of a reckless living, it says. Uh, he probably was kind of a party person. He was kind of indulgent, permissive. And then it goes on to say that uh, he hit hard times. He spent all of his money. And now he's kind of desperate. And he's got to find, uh, he's got to find some work. And let me read to you what it says in verse 15. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the paws of the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And that sounds pretty gross. Feeding pigs, wanting to eat pig food, that sounds like a pretty desperate situation. Uh, but uh, something about this would have hit of the original Jewish audience that doesn't necessarily hit us. It has to do with uh, the kosher laws. Uh, if you were a, a pious Jew, uh, a pious Israelite, you wouldn't have eaten pig. Uh, you wouldn't have eaten pork. And so for him to be uh, longing uh, for, for pork and for, uh, you know, for, for pig food and to be associating with some, an animal that's considered defiled would have meant that all the marks of his sonship, everything that defined him in his family is now gone. That everything that made him, uh, marked him out as a member of this family has completely been erased and he's now an orphan in a foreign country. This idea that wandering may not be actually such a good thing pushes against some sentiments that we have in our culture at large. Uh, we oftentimes have a more positive view of wandering. We uh, have certain sayings. We say, say things like, um, not all who wander are lost. Uh, I even saw a bumper sticker recently. It said, uh, all who wander are not lost. Took a little step further. <laughs> um, we have things like it's about the journey and not the destination. And some of these uh, sentiments are actually good. You know, a good, a good journey is an adventure. Adventures are about fun journeys, exciting things, stories you want to tell. And so not all journeys are bad. It's not always bad to enjoy the journey itself. But if uh, we live a life that's marked by constant seeking without finding, if we live a life that's constantly marked where we value uh, exploration over discovery, that's actually going to be an empty life. What this, this is what this passage is telling us. Here's what it says. There are only orphans and sons in this story. There's no other option. There's not sons and people who are going on a journey of self-discovery. There's not sons and people who are actualizing themselves. There's, there's sons and there's orphans. And what our passage tells us is that a wanderer is ultimately somebody who doesn't have a home. A wanderer may have novelty. They may have excitement. They may have adventure. They may have crazy stories to tell but they're not somebody who knows the safety and belonging and security of home. So what do we do if we find ourselves wandering? How do we get back home? What's, what journey, how do we, which direction do we even go? Uh, the, the younger brother actually gets it right. He screws a lot of things up, but he gets this part right. He knows how to get home. And the first thing he teaches us is that it begins with telling the truth about ourselves. Let me read verse 17 to you. But when uh, the younger brother came to himself, he said, how many of my family's hired servants have more than enough bread 
but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my mother, and I will say to him, Father, sorry, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This little uh, phrase at the beginning of verse 17, but when he came to himself, it's talking about a kind of spiritual awakening or spiritual discernment uh, that allowed him to see the way things really are. He's not saying, hey, I'm having a great time. <laughs> you know, wish, wish everybody could kind of live the life I'm living right now. Uh, he's able to be honest with himself that he's actually estranged from his father and it's his fault. His, his father doesn't owe him. Uh, he, his father isn't, um, you know, it's, it's not really, you know, it's a little bit the son's fault and the father really, if he was a good guy, would have gone out and helped him. No, he's able to tell the truth about himself that he's the one to blame for his situation. Here's the other thing that the younger brother teaches us is that the way home is really the way to the father's heart. It's really interesting that uh, this repentance, his turning, returning home is ultimately relational. It's ultimately him being in a place where he's able to receive the father's love uh, and return that love back to the father. So these two things, being honest with ourselves, beginning to experience and be awakened to God's love for us is the path back home. But what about this father? What is, what is dad going to do when the son comes home? And that's section number two. We're going to look at this by uh, kind of same thing, walking away through this passage. Verse 20 says this, And this younger brother arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And if we want to know, what is the father think about his son? This is the first clue. It's that the father's eye is always on the horizon. That the son is never far from his heart. That he's always expecting his return. That he's eager for it. He's anticipating it. Our story doesn't tell us whether this was weeks or months or years. It could have been years. But the son never left the father's mind or the father's heart. And he was always looking, expecting for him. Expecting him to return. When the father sees him, our pastor says he was felt with, filled with compassion. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And here you have the father's this kind of overwhelming, lavish, gratuitous love for his son. You know, the son was probably wondering, like, what's dad going to do? He probably played a hundred times in his mind, like, what is dad going to do when I come? Like, and he had a plan, right? He's like, I'm going to go get a job with him. He's a fair guy. He's probably nice enough to give me a job. I'm going to earn trust again by working really hard. And then we're going to talk about coming back into the family, probably. That's, that was his plan. And yet the father's love exceeded any of his expectations for him. One of the, the things that all the commentaries uh, noted was how unusual it would have been for this father to run. You know, uh, in, in our culture, basketball players run, kids run, uh, Ancient Middle Eastern uh, patriarchs, whatever, did not run. <laughs> and yet this one did. And it would have been kind of embarrassing for him. Because it would have meant he would have had to lift his robe, expose a little skin. Uh, it would have meant that his servants would have seen him probably running. Maybe his neighbors saw him kind of making a fool out of himself. And yet he's completely oblivious to all this. Because the only thing that's consuming his thought is the desire to have his son back. His love for the son. That's, it's all consuming in his mind. After that, we'll read uh, a few more things happen. He just keeps giving and giving it to the son. Um, uh, where are we? We're at, um, 
It says, uh, you know, he puts a ring, a robe on his, his, takes his own robe, puts it on him. He takes a ring, puts it on his hand, and he gives shoes on his feet. Uh, the, the son probably would have very likely been very dirty, right? He's, he's had a journey. He's messy. He's smelly. Sharing your own clothes with somebody who's messy and smelly usually is not something that we're inclined to do. And the father didn't think twice about it. He says, I'm going to clothe you in the robes of my own honor. He's restoring honor to his son by giving him his clothes. The ring, we don't know whether it was a family ring or not, uh, but it would have in some way symbolized the fact that he's actually being restored to being a son. So we're beginning to see not only that the father loves his son, but he's giving him his same place in the family. Shoes, only servants, uh, only only, uh, um, uh, members of the family would wear shoes. Servants wouldn't wear shoes also. Another indicator that the father is, is giving him a place in his family. After that, he tells the servant to go uh, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. This, for me, has been one of just the most striking things about these parables. There's three parables, actually. Uh, we only read the last of the third. Uh, the previous two tell similar stories about something being lost and it being found. And when that uh, thing is found, they throw a party. And this has always been like, that's so strange. Like, whenever, when I think of, like, what, what would realistically happen, you know, the son returns to his dad, and dad's probably going to be like, hey, you know, we already ate dinner, there's leftovers in the fridge, by the way, your house, you know, your room, uh, turned it into storage room, you're going to have to sleep on the pullout, we're a farm after all, so, you know, we get up at four in the morning, so it's, it's kind of business as usual, right? And yet, the dad never says anything like that, and what you see is the climax of this whole story is the father's delight in his son. What our passage is telling us is that the consummate feelings of the father Towards his son is joy and delight. Our passage ends by saying, the father explaining why he's so happy. He says, my son was dead and now he's alive. He's lost and he's found. I love that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't say lost and then now he's back in the family. He's going to make sure he doesn't screw it up again. It's not he's lost and he's really going to be on his tiptoes to make sure he doesn't upset dad. It's lost and found. It's, it's being, being away from the family and being fully brought in. That's, that is uh, how beautiful this is. He's no longer a wanderer. He has the father's heart. It doesn't take much imagination to see that this story is really a story about Jesus. That this is a story about the father's love for us. This can sometimes be difficult for us to appreciate. Uh, one of the things that's just a, a good or bad truth is the fact that the way our parents treat us is the way we tend to think God treats us. And our views of our parents are generally our views of God. And so if we have uh, a parents who are, say, kind of carefree, not really too involved, don't really care, don't expect much of us, uh, we're going to see kind of God the same way. You know, God's going to give me a pass a lot of times. You know, he can be, you know, he's, he's laid back. Or if we have, say, parents who are really critical and harsh and demanding, uh, you can never get their acceptance and love. We're going to see God the same way. Uh, we're going to see God as somebody who is harsh and demanding and, and hard, 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 to, hard to please. And what Jesus is saying here is that my father is unlike any other father, and he can be your father too. Uh, what he's saying is, when I read this passage, is it's almost like he's saying, just try it. Just test it. <laughs> you don't have to believe it's as good as you think it is. Just take one step towards the father and his love, and he's going to sh- show you how, how wonderful he is. It's like the, the, the son, he thought, you know what, I've got a reasonable plan. I'm just going to come and work, get a job for my dad. 
He's going to take me back. And yet the unexpected happens. He receives everything and it costs him nothing. The Father loves us and he's longing for our love in return. The last section is about how do we love the wanderer. Uh, we're either wandering or we're not. Uh, and another uh, fact is that we're, we're uh, in community with people who wander a lot, uh, all the time. And so uh, let's see if this passage has anything to tell us about how to love the wanderer. It might be tempting here to, um, uh, to look at this and say, uh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like the Father, right? I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, show this unconditional welcome and love and acceptance uh, back to the Son. But here's the thing. There's only one Father in this story, and none of us are it. And so here's the question. Dramatic pause, what's the question? <laughs> um, um, the question is, uh, are we going to be like the older brother or not? The question is, are we going to be people who go into the party? Are we going to be sitting outside, th- uh, sitting outside the party because we're too good? Let's look through this part. Look, let's look through this and see uh, just what exactly the older brother did wrong. Starts off in verse 25. The, the older brother is exactly where he should be. He's working because he's a hard worker, and that's what older brothers do. Uh, it said he heard something quite unusual. He heard music and dancing in the middle of the day. That seems like kind of a strange thing. So he goes and calls one of his servants. He says, what's up? Can you go investigate for me? The servant goes and investigates, and he says something that he was probably not expecting. Like, hey, that younger brother of yours that ran off a long time ago, he's actually back, and your dad's throwing a giant party for him. <laughs> that would have been kind of surprising. And then, the, then it says, his immediate response is not what the father's response was, which when he saw him, it was compassion. Uh, instead, his response was anger and he refused to go in. So what does the father do with this? Well, the father actually comes out to him, showing the same kind of compassion he had towards the younger brother. Uh, the younger brother was lost, uh, and uh, the father is, uh, pursues him and loves him, and the same thing with his older brother, that the father is willing to seek him and go uh, and want to bring him into the family. <clears throat> The passage goes on with uh, the younger brother uh, not only refusing to go in, but saying that he's ungrateful because he was never actually given anything. He wanted a goat. He just wanted a simple little goat. And why is is his little brother getting a a calf? There's a lot of irony in this because uh, the father has actually given him a lot of things. In fact, everything that he has is from the father. (laughs) And yet uh, he's ungrateful uh, and wants a simple little goat. Uh, this uh, example of the older brother um, gets at something that I think is probably one of the most counterintuitive, shocking, crazy uh, statements I found in the entire Bible, and I've thought this for 20 years. And that is the fact that our goodness, uh, the reason we can be separated from God, is not only because of our goodness, uh, excuse me, I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> the reason we can be separated from God is not only uh, despite our goodness, but actually because of our goodness. There's an author, Flannery O'Connor, who puts it this way. She's describing one of her characters. She says this about him. There was a dark namelessness in him that said the way to get to God is by not having any sin. It's kind of crazy. So it's calling it dark, calling his, his kind of works-heavy uh, approach to God as, as being dark. Tim Keller's right. There are two ways to be lost 
Uh, one is by doing all the things that the Father uh, doesn't want us to do, living a life that's permissive, indulgent, committed to discovery. But there's another way that we can actually be lost, and it's by saying we don't need the Father's love and saying that everything we have from the Father is actually because we deserve it. There are two ways to be lost, but one way home, and it's always the same. It's coming home to the Father with empty hands and looking to receive his love. Elsewhere in Scripture, we find that Jesus is described as an elder brother. Uh, But he's an elder brother who's really quite different than the one we have here. Uh, This elder brother was ashamed to call his younger brother a son. He even says in here, this son of yours. Uh, He he was uh, refusing to associate with him as a family member. And yet Jesus is proud and honored to call us brothers and sisters. The younger brother probably should have gone looking for his, uh, the older brother should have gone looking for his younger brother when he was lost. And he doesn't do this. And yet Jesus is the elder brother who leaves heaven on a journey to bring us back to his home. And this older brother, the younger brother, excuse me, it cost, it, uh, it cost his family a lot for him to leave, and it cost them a lot to return, something that the, that the older brother would have been uh, not too fan, uh, enthused about. And yet Jesus is eager to give up everything, to give up uh, a great cost even to his life to bring us back into his home. And it's knowing this, it's knowing that Jesus is our elder brother uh, that allows us uh, to love, uh, love and serve the wanderer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we praise you because you are this elder brother. Uh, you have left your home and you have pursued us at great cost to yourself. Uh, and we are so grateful for this. We want to be people who imitate this love to others uh, and return this love back to you. We ask that your spirit would be working uh, this in us. In Christ's name, amen.